Our New Testament reading this morning is from the book of Acts, chapter 10, verses 24 through 48. The following day, they came to Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. On Peter's arrival, Cornelius met him and falling on his feet, worshiped him. But Peter made him get up saying, stand up, I am only a mortal. And as he talked with him, he went in and found that many had assembled. And he said to them, you yourselves know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or to visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. Now, may I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius replied, four days ago at this very hour at three o'clock, I was praying in my house when suddenly a man in dazzling clothes stood before me. He said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. Therefore, I sent for you immediately and you have been kind enough to come. So now all of us are here in the presence of God to listen to all that the Lord has commanded you to say. Then Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John announced, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses to all that he did in both, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses and who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter said, Can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they invited him to stay for several days. This is the word of the Lord. Our gospel reading is from Luke 2, verses 25 through 35. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the new law, or under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, 
a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we know that you speak to us in so many ways. We thank you now for writing your heart in a book, something that we can hear and study. I pray that your word today would plant new seeds in us, seeds that root down and bear fruit, seeds of expectancy, of desire, seeds of resurrection. Lord, may we taste and see more of who you are, more of what you desire for us in this message today. May my meditations and reflections on this story be pleasing to you and edifying to this community. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as Chris was saying, I am wrapping up my time here in Philly and with Resurrection. And as I have been entering into that little season of transition, I've been reflecting a lot on some of the things that I've learned this summer. And one of the coolest parts of this summer for me was getting to sit across a table from some of you and hearing about your own stories learning about who you are, what makes you tick, how you ended up where you ended up. And I noticed that a common theme in a lot of our stories is that nobody ever really can plan their path. We might have visions and dreams and ideas of what we're hoping for. We choose a major and then we get a first job and we think that we have this idea of what's coming next or what we want to happen in our life. And then something happens. Something changes our path. Either maybe we meet somebody and they change everything or we lose somebody and that also changes everything. Or maybe an open door surprises us or a closed door. Maybe we learn that we are passionate about something that we didn't realize. And so oftentimes, I, I think that these, these life path-altering moments come to us as a surprise. We don't usually go looking for them. And so this summer, through your stories and the other stories that I've been hearing, I've learned that for a lot of us, we can sum up our lessons learned about our vocational or relational paths by saying that there is great importance to the art of paying attention. Our lives are often shaped by our willingness to pay attention, to notice what the Spirit is already doing, to notice what's going on inside of us, to notice what doors are opening and closing, to notice what people we cross paths with. When we pay attention, when we notice these details about our lives, 
that's where things begin. Mary Oliver is one of my favorite poets. Some of you might be familiar with her. And in a poem entitled The Summer Day, she takes notice of a small grasshopper. The poem is sort of dedicated to this grasshopper. It's a poem of praise in a way. She describes the creature in great detail and then remarks on the significance, the importance of being willing to kneel down in the grass, take notes on what we see, pay attention to tiny details, to slow down and admire and be blessed by that seeing. She writes, I don't know exactly what prayer is, but I do know how to pay attention. Perhaps prayer and paying attention are much of the same thing. I think this truth is worthwhile to consider this morning because our scripture passage today is a story about prayer and a story about paying attention It's about the willingness of God's people to pay attention to what God is doing. Paying attention to the small, minute movements of the Lord. But first, our story begins a little bit further back than what we read today. So before Peter knows of Cornelius and meets him in our story, we find Peter on a roof by the seaside. And Peter is praying, and the text tells us that Peter is hungry. I think it's fitting to think that prayer often starts in a place of hunger. And while he's praying, he receives a vision. And the vision is of a sheet that comes down before him from the heavens, and on this sheet is full of clean and unclean animals. And the voice of the Lord tells Peter, kill and eat. And Peter is confused. He says, no, I can't eat anything that's unclean, that's against Jewish law. And the Lord responds by saying this, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. Peter didn't know what to think at first of this vision, what it all meant, but the point is not that he knew, didn't know what to think or did know what to think. The point is that Peter was open to receiving this vision at all in the first place. Peter was in a posture of openness. The Holy Spirit had a message to convey, and Peter positioned himself in a posture to receive on a rooftop that day. When we pray, we are assuming this posture of openness, of expectancy. We make ourselves vulnerable to what God might have to say, what God might have to do in our lives. Then meanwhile, there was another man in another town also praying. At three o'clock, the text tells us, which is a daily time of prayer for Jews, a man named Cornelius, a Roman military commander, was also praying and also received a vision and heard from the Lord. And the Lord told Cornelius that there was a man named Peter and Peter was gonna come to his house and had some important things to share with Cornelius and his household. Cornelius, taking up this posture of expectancy and openness, was able to receive in the same way as Peter. 
As God's people are paying attention, things are happening to them and in their lives that they didn't seek out or plan. And this isn't the first moment we see this happening in Peter's journey. Peter has been paying attention for a while now. If we back up, if we back up even a little bit further, we see a couple other stories of this. We read, as Peter is on the way, that there was a man named Aeneas, and Aeneas was bedridden and paralyzed. And as Peter was traveling through this town, their paths crossed. And because Peter found himself open to what the Lord had for him as, this, as their paths crossed, Aeneas was able to be healed by Peter's prayer. And then immediately following that, Peter continues on his way, and then we read that there was a woman named Tabitha, a disciple of Jesus. She was taking care of a lot of people in her community, and Peter's path crossed with the people who were grieving her death. She had just passed away. But because Peter came to this place with an open mind, with being open to what God was doing, Peter decided to go and meet with these people, and he laid hands on Tabitha, and she was healed and came back to life by his prayer. Peter becomes this instrument of God's work, not because he's a great at strategizing and planning out his path. None of these things were planned, but he pays attention and is present. Instead of moving right on past Aeneas or Tabitha, people he didn't know, he stayed with them, he noticed them, he heard their stories, he realized their pain, and he gave his time to heal. And so now, a couple of Gentiles, people Peter doesn't know, show up at his front door, Cornelius' servants, telling Peter that God has spoken to Cornelius that Peter and Cornelius need to meet, that Peter needs to go to his house, and Peter is open still. And so he goes. He even invites these Gentiles to stay a night with him in his house and then goes. It would take a lot of courage and trust to move forward in this direction where he didn't really know what was coming next. Being in prayer is practicing expectancy in the art of paying attention. Prayer is one way that we listen to what's going on in our own hearts, that we listen to what's going on in the Lord's heart for us. You might notice that we don't hear Peter's prayer on the roof, and we don't hear Cornelius's prayer at 3 p.m. that day. What we hear is God speaking to them. I'm not saying their prayers aren't important. God longs to hear everything that we have to say and has all the time in the world for us to talk his ear off in a sense. But we have to remember that it's not really about what we say. The power is in what God does and in God's listening and in our willingness to quiet ourselves and open ourselves up to what God is saying. And we also have to remember that hearing from God doesn't always lead to some obvious conclusion or next step every time. God doesn't always tell us explicitly what we're supposed to do or what his words to us mean right in that moment. Sometimes God doesn't speak to us in words, but 
speaks to us in two strangers showing up outside of our door with a need or with a question. And it's because Peter and Cornelius were open to God in their places of prayer that their prayers became a catalyst for what God wanted to do in the spirit, a catalyst for new movement. What God wanted to do next is not exactly what one might expect. The spirit forges a connection between two very unlikely people. We have Peter, who is a traveling disciple of Jesus, and we have Cornelius, a Roman military leader. The fact that these two men meet at all, that Peter dares to enter Cornelius's house, which would have been socially unacceptable at this time, and then dares to share the gospel with him and his family is remarkable and unlikely for a number of reasons. The first reason is that Cornelius is a Roman military leader. We don't know exactly a lot about his background or why he came to faith, why he's following the Jewish God, but we do know that he would have been a person of power, of importance. He would have been somebody who was a public figure and held a lot of respect. We also know that Cornelius is a Gentile. That means that he is not a Jew. And yet he is a God-fearer, which means he is following the Jewish faith. And we know that he was devout. He was passionate about this Jewish faith, about this Jewish God. Our text says that he gave alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. So a Roman military commander drawn to the God of Israel. This is strange. This is not intuitive. Would not have been expected. The second unlikely and remarkable thing about this story is that it takes place in Caesarea. In Caesarea, there was built a temple to Caesar. It was a place and people who were blatantly worshiping and following gods other than the Jewish God, than the God of Israel. And Caesarea was also known as a place of conflict between the Hellenistic people, people who were not Jews, and the Jews who were choosing to live there. This is not exactly the ideal place to be a Jew, let alone a non-Jew who is following the Jewish faith. For Cornelius, there must have been something really compelling about this God. Because according to ancient Jewish laws, also known as Torah, Gentiles were not allowed to participate in the Jewish faith. But after crossing the threshold of Cornelius' house, Peter has this revelation. He says to Cornelius and his household, you yourselves know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. God is breaking all the rules here. God not only speaks different, speaks something different than what Torah spoke, that Gentiles will be God's people, but God also does it all out of order. In verse 44, while Peter is telling Cornelius and his household the story of the Israelite people, 
and the story of Jesus preparing them for this conversion, explaining the theological significance of all that they're about to experience, the Spirit just comes. The Spirit breaks in mid-sentence. And the theologians and the temple priests squirm in their seats because God does everything out of order. There's no creed or confession or baptismal liturgy given before this moment. While Peter is still speaking, before he has even gotten his full point across, the text says, the Spirit falls upon those who were listening to the message. A second Pentecost has just occurred. But this time, it's the Spirit coming upon the Gentiles, coming upon the outcasts. It's the fulfillment of where we began. If you think back to Acts 1, verses 8, when Jesus is ascending, he says to his people, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Caesarea and the Gentiles are the ends of the earth that Jesus was talking about, that Jesus prophesied about, promised to bring into the fold. So now the Gentiles are speaking in tongues and exalting God, and they're the ones ministering to the Jews. Those who were not God's people are now God's people, and they're the ones doing the talking. They're the ones doing the preaching. The Spirit is breathing life inside of them. The most unlikely thing has just occurred, and all Peter can say is surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. Can he? Who can refuse this water? Who can refuse this baptism? Nothing and no one will get in the way between God and God's beloved. Hear God's desire and longing for the Gentiles, for those who are considered outcasts, is shown, is displayed. Willie James Jennings writes that this moment illustrates that God is a God who touches first. God does not wait to be touched by us. And it's important to realize that most of us in this room are Gentiles. Most of us have been welcomed into the ancient Jewish faith. We are a part of this legacy of the meeting between Peter and Cornelius. The legacy of the baptismal waters that cannot be contained. But we also have to remember that this isn't just about the Gentiles being welcome to receive the good news, the gospel of Jesus. This is about the Gentiles and the Jews becoming unified. The loving water of God is engulfing both Jew and Gentile. There's a communion taking place here that has never taken place before. So now... Jews and Gentiles will eat together, the clean and unclean, the pure and the impure. The trajectory of the Christian faith changed in this moment, in this living room. 
In someone's personal residence, people who were very different from each other were welcome to come together and engage in new relationships and a new way of thinking and a new way of living. From a family room to the rest of the world, a new vision of hospitality has been cast. And we are invited to this table. Soon in our service, we're going to gather around a table. In verse 41, Peter says in his speech to the Gentiles that what marks the people of God are the people who eat and drink with God. What marks the people of God is joining in communion with him. Peter and Cornelius and his household are invited to join in eating a new meal. We're gathered together are Jews and Gentiles, the lonely and the loved, the well-off and the people under the poverty line, the depressed and the overly optimistic, the workaholic and the artist. So who is it for you? Who is it really hard to imagine is also welcomed at this table? Who do you have a really hard time passing the plate to? Remember that the ends of the earth, the people who seem beyond reach to you, can sometimes be in your own living room. But it's not just about the people that we don't get along with in our own midst. This is about communion with the greater church. The divides in our present time are extremely clear, and I don't even need to name any examples right now for examples to come to mind for you. I challenge us in that to consider Peter's rhetorical question as we approach this table today. Who can refuse this water? What stands between you and this water and this meal? between anyone in this water and this meal? The answer is nothing. Christ's spirit is poured out on Gentiles and Jews alike, and we need only open our hearts to God who is already reaching out. This meal, the one that Peter was told to take and eat by God in a vision, finds its roots in the meal that Christ shared with his disciples before he was put on the cross. A meal which he offered to both his betrayer, G Judas, and to a bunch of other ragtag eccentric characters. Christ said to each of them, this is my body which is given for you. Take and eat. In this meal, Christ offers us himself, and in this meal, Christ invites us to transform. We can no longer ignore the people that we run into at the water cooler at work, and we can no longer ignore the people who sit next to us on a bench in a park. In this meal, Christ invites us to love in a way that is scandalous, impossible, and beautiful. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let's pray. Lord God, thank you again for your word, for the stories that are passed down to us to learn from, to share, and study. 
Lord, may we be people who slow down and pay attention to our own desires, to the open doors and closed doors around us, to the people in our circles. Cultivate in us a desire like yours to see the ends of the earth ministered to and brought into God's fold. We see that you are a God who moves at the sound of our prayers. May we witness how things change as we pray and be encouraged to continue to pray, even if our prayers look more like silence sometimes. God, you know each person in this room. You know the different needs and struggles and joys that are present here. I pray a blessing over each individual as this message continues to take root in us. Pray over the individuals and I pray also over this community as a whole. In your name, amen.